Hi, this is Annie Foxer, Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Phyllis Fagel. Phyllis is a licensed clinical professional counselor and a school counselor. She is also a regular columnist for the Washington Post. Hi, Phyllis. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for being a school counselor. Oh, I love my job. I'm very lucky. Oh, you know, I hear a lot with with budget cutbacks. Often I encounter kids who say they don't have a school counselor. And I have a strong sense that every school needs at least one, right? Definitely. It might be the only access to mental health that some kids have in some schools. Yeah, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about um, academic stress and the myth of the straight A student. And I'd like you to talk a little bit when we first get started here about the uh, the conventional wisdom about straight A students. Well, I think that there are a lot of parents that think everyone else's child is getting all A's. And last spring, I was struck by how the principal at our local high school structures graduation. He has uh, many different interest groups stand up, including musicians, athletes, And at the very end, he asks the straight-A students to stand. And in a class of nearly 600 people, maybe there are five or six, a handful. In 12 years, there's never been more than a handful. And he does that on purpose just to show the community that everyone else's child is not getting straight-A's. It's very difficult to get straight-A's. And in fact, a straight-A doesn't necessarily hold meaning anyway because of how grading is structured and inconsistencies in one school and between schools. So it sounds like the first myth is that everybody's student, at least in our group of overachieving parents, everyone is getting straight A's, so why not you, Johnny or Jillian, right? Exactly, especially in this particular high school, which is in a very high-achieving area with a lot of very stressed-out children. Yeah, you know, I encounter stressed-out kids a lot. I'm, I have my own book called Too Stressed to Think, and... and um, most of the time, I deal with kids who are um, navigating stress in the social area of their of their lives, uh, mm-hmm. friendship issues, and stuff like that. But I know that that academic stress and the expectations of parents and and teachers, especially in high achieving communities, is really intense. It is, and I started out as a middle as a high school counselor, and there was a lot of stress in the high school. And what struck me when I went from high school to middle school is that the stress was actually worse. And I don't think it's that the high school students suddenly were less stressed. I think that everybody's stress had amped up, and I was just shocked at how many of my middle school students were really having trouble coping with with grades and with report cards. And what do you see as a result of that trouble that they're having? Well, I've had to change my own strategies. I think as school counselors, we tend to throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And all of the strategies I had been using really were not enough. They weren't working because there were so many forces other than me, other than the teachers. There is that internal pressure that kids feel. There's pressure from peers. There's pressure from parents. There's pressure just because the world is changing and people don't know how to prepare for this new era, it's an innovation era, and it's not clear what grades even mean anymore. And so I think everyone's just trying to figure out how to control whatever variables they can control. And grades is one of them. So what what um, dysfunctions are you seeing in student behavior that lets you know this kid, this kid's in trouble? 
I think that the first sign is usually that I see them a lot. And often it will be that a parent will call me and tell me that they're having trouble at home, maybe trouble with sleeping or they're just very irritable or they're fighting about grades. And sometimes the parent is calling to say, we're doing everything we can to ease the pressure and it just doesn't matter. They're just obsessed with how they're doing in school. And so in the last few years at this middle school, at this high achieving middle school in Bethesda called Pyle, we have introduced a tremendous number of new mindfulness initiatives just to come up with new ways to help kids regulate their emotions because they're just not feeling in control of their emotions. It's interesting that you say parents call and they're concerned. Um, I guess maybe one of the myths is it's parents that are pushing them. I think that actually over time, parents are getting less intense in some ways just because things like college admissions are becoming so much more of a lottery, so much more of a crapshoot that I think in some ways it's easing the pressure. I know also there are initiatives coming out of places like the Harvard Graduate School of Education that are encouraging admissions deans to emphasize caring over laundry lists of accomplishments. And so there are at this point about 50 schools, including the entire Ivy League, that have signed onto this uh, proposal, this research from this this psychologist out of Harvard. And so I think the new anxiety is that Parents understand that grades don't necessarily make or break the child, but they don't know what does make or break the child. And I think that anxiety still gets transferred to the to their kid in a different way. It's really interesting. You remind me of a, a salient quote by Daniel Goleman, the author of Emotional Intelligence. And he says, um, if you cannot manage your distressing emotions, you can't create and maintain healthy relationships. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You're just not going to do very well. I think that's right. And I spend a lot of time writing and thinking and talking to parents about character development and instilling traits like integrity and resilience and perseverance, just having that grit and the willingness to stick with things when they're hard, because no matter what, no matter how the world changes, those traits will always be useful and necessary. Relationship building is probably the most important skill they'll have in the workforce, no matter what they do. Yeah, and so it makes me wonder. I mean, I I I work in schools, but mostly as an invited guest who comes mm-hmm. in and does student assemblies and and teacher training and and parent education events. Um, what's your experience in terms of if that if character building and emotional intelligence skill building is in fact a priority? What do you see in terms of prioritizing it in a real way um, in curricula in schools? So my my feeling is that the two initiatives that we need to focus on right now, one is maker learning, which is hands-on, project-based, authentic, relevant uh, creations that the child leads, so a design of the child's invention that they see through, and they have trial and error, they learn through iteration, they learn that they can sit with the frustration, and it levels the playing field, whether you're a wonderful student or a struggling student, or even you speak English as a second language. And so I think that in order for us to progress in terms of curriculum, we need to introduce maker learning into the schools and have STEAM with the A, the arts as well, not just STEM. I also see a need for more mindfulness in the schools, which is happening, but I think that's that's the way that we will help children build on their own ability to regulate their emotions so that they then can attend to difficult tasks 
and do whatever they need to do to get through school. Let's define terms with mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness is the ability to observe a thought with neutrality, without judgment and with kindness, to accept it, and then to let go of the distraction and return to the task that you're focusing on. And so it rewires the brain to help you focus better. It helps with empathy. It helps with self-compassion. And it helps with focus and emotion regulation. And on the other hand, it probably reduces impulsivity and things that we say and do that we might later regret. Especially with adolescents, because they have an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, and they're operating from a fight-or-flight reaction from their amygdala. And in order to get them to press the pause button, we have to give them the tools to be able to, to not be so reactive, to not just immediately. And actually, it's helpful for parents and teachers to, oh, to yeah. be able to, to manage their stress so that they can keep the temperature down for everybody. Okay, so you say observe that thought before you react to it, which is great. How do you begin teaching middle school kids to observe that thought from a neutral place? So what we do and what I've done over the last few years is offer uh, small groups, offer drop-in advisory uh, classes that they can come to. We've, we do fun things, we do active things, and we do meditative activities. It can be anything from making glitter jars and shaking them and watching the, their thoughts settle. It can be making homemade mm -hmm. stress balls. It can be ballooning, batting a balloon back and forth and imagining it's the nagging worry and you're just swatting it away. Or it can be very sitting quietly and meditatively focusing on sounds in the room or listening to music. I try to mix it up so that we can reach a variety of learners. That's that is wonderful. Now you say um, you offer these, which I'm guessing they're an elective. It's a choice rather than part of the prescribed curriculum. It is. And it includes yoga. This was actually, I just switched schools. So this, this program was out of the last school I was at in Bethesda and it was offered to anyone who wanted it, but it was, they had to come of their own volition because it was offered at a time where they had other things that they could do it did get a very good turnout because mm -hmm. kids do want to feel in control of their emotions. Of and it's very unsettling to feel like you can't focus on your day and just to come and have a little bit of time. That advisory time is at the beginning of the day to kind of shake their, shake out their yayas. And sometimes we play with yo-yos and share their feelings and rate their stress and do a mindfulness activity before starting their day really helps. I would love to see it in the curriculum. It just hasn't happened. Yeah. We keep pushing for it because, you know, this is, this is what makes learning environments safe. This mm -hmm. is, this is what makes kids feel welcome in school. Um, it's, it's, it's essential. I mean, it's not, just, it's not an add on. I know I'm, I'm, I'm singing to the yeah. choir here. Um, so I'm thinking that, the work that you do with with um, the students on a you know come as you will basis reminds me of a blog I wrote a couple of years ago. Um, it was called "Every School Needs an Oasis," which was essentially my idea that a teacher during lunch could um, kind of take over an empty classroom anyway during lunchtime and just kind of offer a place for kids to opt out of the social drama that happens a lot of the times in at lunch. What do you think of that idea? First of all, I love that idea. And I love the vision of an oasis. And that is kind of what I was trying to create with the mindfulness space. And at the school where I'm at now, they have 
a courtyard where when the kids arrive, they can do yoga in the morning and it serves a similar purpose. But I've always said that every child needs an adult in the building and lunch is a particularly fraught time and to have alternatives is wonderful. Uh, often teachers will take kids into their classrooms during lunch if they're willing. And it is a safe space, especially in a really large school where just walking through a cafeteria to find somebody can be overwhelming. Yeah, you know, I was just at a middle school last week doing uh, three assemblies back to back, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And um, there were about 400 kids in each session in bleachers in in the uh, gymnasium. And I was thinking there's a lot of jostling going on, a lot of side conversations, just a lot of chaos. You know? Yes. Um, and I was thinking, I guess I was projecting because I'm an introvert. And I was thinking, my goodness, where is there space for a child who wants some relief from being in this large, very um, noisy, often um, insensitive group for that many hours a day? Where does the kid go? It's really hard. And I think schools often have space constraints. There's nowhere to put them. At, At Pyle, at this middle school where I used to be, they had over 500 kids per grade and there just isn't enough room for them. It's like salmon swimming upstream, just going through the hallways and everyone does the best that they can and they get used to it. But there definitely are kids who find it overwhelming and that in and of itself is stressful, just trying to manage in such a large environment. If they can learn how to do it, it's a wonderful life skill and, but it, it is, can be, it can take some time for them to get there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, we have just about a minute left. This conversation just flew. <laughs> I could talk about this stuff all the time. Because, Me too. Yeah, um, kids need these kinds of tools. We all do. We live in a in a speedier, noisier, often um, more insensitive world than the one we grew up in. So um, in the time we have left, Phyllis, could you give us, um, my viewers and listeners, a, an online presence where they can learn more about your work? Uh, I tweet at at P. Fagel, or they can look for me for my column on the Washington Post website. If they put in Phyllis L. Fagel, they'll find my articles. That's great. Um, thank you so much. I really You're appreciate welcome. Thank the you work for that, having me. I appreciate the work that you do, and um, keep it up. Thank you. And you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and their parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, and my latest book for tween girls, The Girls' Q&A Book on Friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And please rate us on iTunes. It helps other folks find the show. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Eggplant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Dr. Dan Peters. Dr. Dan is a psychologist, author, and co-founder of Parent Footprint, an interactive parenting education community. He is also the host of Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan, and he is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and Psychology Today. Until next time, happy parenting.